0: Kia ora and welcome. Consume This is back for our fourth season with myself, John Duffy, and my co-host, Sophie Richardson. She's sitting right here. How are you, Soph? Good. Great. It's great excited. to be back. Yes, we are excited. We have some huge, enormous, adventure packed episodes coming up this season. For example, we'll be unpicking the electricity market, we'll be taking on the Disputes Tribunal, and we'll be frothing over how the price of beer laid the groundwork for the consumer movement in New Zealand. But before we push ahead into all that good stuff, we thought it would be a good time to revisit some of your favourite stories from the last three seasons. And I'm, this is very reminiscent of old episodes, old reruns of MASH, <laughs> where they used to mash together clips from all their previous episodes <laughs> so they didn't have to film anything for, um, for the episode they were doing. But we have actually made some effort on this one, team. So in season one, you shared some experiences with us, Soph, around your experience with car ownership and ride sharing. Mm. When we talked about it, you were giving up your car in favor of using ride sharing services. So tell us a bit about that and where you've got to with it.
1: So I'd sold my car and I was a Mevo user and I still kind of am. So Mevo had become our like main form of transport for like sort of daily trips if we had to go somewhere different. But, I, you know, I'd catch the bus to and from work. But Mevo, if I need to go to the supermarket or we were going to see friends or anything like that. And we got into a bit of a, a, a howdy doody with, <laughs> with Mevo.
0: Uh, howdy doody. Yeah. That's a legal term, eh?
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, it's a whoozy Watson of a legal term. And uh, Callum uh, reversed into a pole. Callum. Yeah. Which, you know, under normal circumstances, you're like, oh, silly Billy, you know, reversed into a pole. The dent was probably about the size of like an avocado. And there was like a couple of scratches. That was it. We... Spoke to Mevo and Mevo were like, cool, we'll go and get that assessed by our assessor. And they sent it away. And I said, great, can you just send us a quote for how much you think the repairs are going to cost? Bit of context Callum has also previously driven uh, our friend Janet's car into a wheelie bin. Um, so, <laughs> Callum. Um, You're marrying Callum, mate. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, um, in a month's time. Nice. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's all right. I, I you know. Take him as he is. And when Callum drove Janet's car into a wheelie bin um, Was it
0: reversing or was it Ford?
1: No, he went straight into it. <laughs> that was head on. Yep. Um so he drove it into the wheelie bin and we went and got it fixed by a panel beater and that cost us about three hundred bucks. And that was a big quite a big dent actually. And I was like, sweet, it'll probably be like in the range of like five hundred dollars to fix this Mevo car, right? Oh no.
0: What kind of car was the Mevo car?
1: It was a build your dreams. Um, so, it's an electric EV Chinese oh, okay. um, car. Like, they're all the rage at the moment with the boomers because they're like the cheapest EV on the market. <laughs> I say that because Callum's parents also have one. Hi, Lynn and Peter. Anyway, um, <laughs> so Mevo came back and they said, um, So, we've got a quote, and the quote for the repairs is going to be $5,000. Jeez. And I was like, <laughs> I don't, I don't fucking think so. And they said, so that means you're, because we'd selected the sort of maximum excess thing, which was $2,500. So they were like, so you pay the $2,500 for your excess and then obviously the insurance company that they have will pay the rest mm-hmm. for the repairs. And I was like, no, I don't think that's reasonable. And eventually they knocked $500 on the, off the price and we paid $2,000 to them to repair this avocado-sized dent. Which I still feel slightly aggrieved about. In reflecting on our experience, we then decided to think about whether it was actually worth continuing as a Mevo customer. And we added up how much we'd spent over a year. And so we'd spent um, with Mevo about $10,000 over the course of a year on various different trips. So like whether that just be back and forth sort of trips or whether it would be like a road trip um, Mm, up the coast sort of thing or whatever. And... We thought, well, actually, for that price, we may as well just own our own car. So we did. We went to bought a second-hand Kia. That's a hybrid. Yeah. And it got shipped up from Dunedin, and we love it.
0: Nice. Well, wow, yeah. okay. That's interesting. That's not, that's not where I thought you'd be going with this. Yeah. And that ten grand does that include Callum's little whopper?
1: Oh no, that was excluding okay, the, that's on the top faux pas. Oh, okay, so alright. Including the faux pas, it's like twelve thousand so. dollars. <laughs> yeah, but you yeah. can,
0: when you own your own car, you can choose to drive around with an avocado-sized dent in there. Exactly. In the back. Yep. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And like, is. or take it to a reasonable panel beater that's not going to charge you five thousand dollars to repair an avocado-sized dent. Yeah. Mm. How interesting. Yeah. Anyway, that was me. So, we're very happy with our new car.
0: Cool. All right. Hey, well, next next episode we're going to reminisce on mm. is uh, the episode we did on flight rights.
1: Eels.
0: This is another one that involves you and um, <laughs> your tussles with co- <laughs> corporate New Zealand. Um, you'd had a disruption mm-hmm. to a flight back from Tasmania, as I recall. Yes, that's correct. There was an incident involving your cat mm-hmm. and that put you to some expense. Do you want to give us the background again?
1: Yeah. So basically we'd gone on holiday to Tasmania. We'd booked our flights through Air New Zealand. Air New Zealand had booked the flight back that went Hobart, Sydney, Sydney, Wellington. And so we got on the flight, got to Sydney. And when we got to Sydney, it took us like three hours basically to get through airport security and customs and all of that sort of shabam. And so therefore we missed our flight. That is a bummer but it wasn't like the end of the world apart from the fact that we had to spend another like three hours waiting for another flight and also meant that we had to go via Auckland to get home and so in the end would mean that we couldn't pick up our cats from the cattery so they had to spend an extra night in the cattery which obviously cost us more money than we were intending to spend and then we also had to buy food in the the airport obviously because we were waiting for to get on the plane and all Oh, and
0: you know how Callum gets when he's hungry oh I
1: know. Yeah. Actually, it's really me. No, to be honest, I'm the hangry one. He mm. gets angry when he's tired. <laughs> the whole episode is just an insight into <laughs> him and Sophie's relationship. Anyway, when I got back, we obviously happened to be doing an episode on flight rights. It was very convenient. And Annalise told me that actually that was n- not on me, all of that cost. That was on Air New Zealand to reimburse me because they should have known that it would take a longer time between getting off my plane and getting on the other plane and should have allowed more time for me to do that. So, so that's
0: Consumer NZ, Consumer Rights Expert Annalise Gorn. That's correct. You're referring correct. to. Yes,
1: yeah. yes, my my new best friend. Yeah. Um,
0: and so, so what happened? You went back to Air New Zealand?
1: Yeah, so I immediately wrote a lovely email to Air New Zealand and sent them all my receipts saying, by the way, you um, here's my receipts and you've cost me money and I'd like my money back, please, because you know of these reasons and this is what's happened also by the way your customer service agents were terrible but anyway that was a side thing they gave me an automatic email back and they, th- and they
0: opened the hard to please folder <laughs> <laughs> and, and your name was pre-populated
1: yes um in all caps <laughs> do do not engage anyway um So their automatic reply said, we'll get back to you in six to eight weeks. And I was like, Jesus, that's a long wait, but okay. Six to eight weeks later, I went looking for a reply. Nothing had come into my inbox. Sent them another email saying, hey, still waiting on this reply. And I got another automatic reply saying it's going to be 10 weeks to get back to you. Fucking hell, it's getting worse every time I email you. Anyway... (laughs) So um waited and eventually I got a reply saying, thanks so much for your email and so sorry to hear about your bad customer service, but we're not going to give you your money back. How much are we talking here? Oh, it's real minimal. So uh, this was the day, it was actually very ironic. It was the day after there was a stuff article being like record profits for Air New Zealand and I got a reply back being like, we're not giving you your $54 back. So immediately engaged the services of my best friend Annalise from Consumer NZ and said Annalise this is this an on you know
0: this will not stand
1: this will not stand um <laughs> and said can you help me please she was great and she got in touch with in New Zealand and very quickly I got another reply saying so sorry uh we made a mistake and here is your $54. Oh, okay. Good. Thank you. So, for- it,
0: so it worked out with just a little bit of elbow grease.
1: Oh, yes. I mean, yes, from a consumer NZ perspective, like fabulous service would recommend, highly, highly, highly recommend becoming a consumer NZ member for that sole reason. But I think it was just like such absolute crap customer service that it had to get to the point that I had to ex- engage a third party in order to, like, advocate on my behalf for something that was is, really simple. It is ridiculous. And also a really small amount of money yeah. as well.
0: So this is this is an ongoing thing that we are campaigning for with our flight rights campaign. And in particular, we have been in the air of, of the Minister, the Associate Minister of Transport, uh, Kerry Allen, who's in charge of the airline part of the transport portfolio, urging her to consider... Drafting regulations under the Civil Aviation Act, which she will soon have powers to do, that require the airlines to to fully disclose to you, give you an information sheet that says, "Hey, you've experienced a disruption. Here are all your rights." So, when you were in Sydney Airport, you would have got, you would have been either emailed or provided with a disclosure, and you would have been able to say, "Oh, well, we're going to have to put the cats in for another night." So, yes, right. Yeah. Um, there's no there's no dispute over whether this money would be owed or not.
1: Yeah, and I think that will be awesome but they'll also need to put in the backing behind that in terms of a customer service element because waiting 20 plus weeks if for reimbursement is just ridiculous and it's fine like for me it's $50 like I don't really care like it was really like the principle of the matter I'm like it's not going to make that much difference to me personally that they didn't give me $50 or not but for people who have had massive disruptions and that's cost them thousands of dollars, it's mm. a huge amount of money to wait for yeah. um, and, like, a long time to wait for that too.
0: Agreed. Agreed. All right, I can see you getting worked up, so we should move on to our next <laughs> uh, our next story. Cool. So uh, do you remember Vlad?
1: Vlad Stravkovich.
0: Uh, Vlad Stravkovich. And he was from our second ever episode and actually – Probably um, my personal favourite in terms of the people that we've had the pleasure of engaging with on this um, podcast. Yeah, Vlad's super, was great. Super cool dude, really genuine community-minded guy who really just wanted the ability to get on the property ladder. And he was generous enough to share with us his story of of his struggles to get onto the property ladder here in Wellington. And um, I had uh, the chance to catch up with him in the studio yesterday. So, Vlad, welcome back to the Consumer NZ studio. It's been, um, geez, it's been nearly two years since we last caught up with
2: you. Oh, it feels like it had gone in a blink. First question, have you got a house? Not yet, but it is looking slightly more hopeful with the prices slowly decreasing.
0: Cool. So you're, you're active and you're back in the market looking?
2: Um, yeah, I'm looking every week and I'm hoping that something will come up shortly.
0: Cool.
2: Where are you looking? Um, Obviously, I'd love to get something close to where I'm working so I could eliminate the transport. So I know looking within Wellington is a little bit un- unrealistic, but I'm looking in the suburb nearby.
0: Okay, that's that's cool to hear because I think last time we spoke, you were looking right out in the fringes of the city, uh, beyond Upper Hut and things like that. So is it a positive thing that you're able to look in a bit closer or are you looking at smaller properties now?
2: I think I'm looking at smaller properties somewhere closer to work because I found that even outside of Wellington, I wasn't really getting anything way better than uh, what I was expecting.
0: Mm, okay.
2: We've heard a lot over the last year or so around
0: banks getting quite tight on their lending criteria. Um, how's What's your experience been with getting pre-approval for a mortgage?
2: It's just, um, even though the prices of the houses have gone down, so has the amount that I can borrow from the bank. So it kind of puts me in the same situation where I was two years ago.
0: And so that is you going to the bank saying, I'm interested in a house at a certain price, and them saying... Uh, is it due to responsible lending restrictions and things like that? They're worried that you won't be able to service amounts at that level?
2: Pretty much. I think because the interest rate from the bank are increasing, then the amount that I have to pay back is also increasing. So then mm. the amount that I can borrow is decreasing.
0: So how does that make you feel? I mean, you know, the market moves and you must have got a little bit excited. Your eyes might, might have lit up a wee bit. Prices are, are dropping. We're hearing this again and again uh, every night on the news. You know, you must have got quite
2: excited when when you saw that happening. Uh, definitely kind of made it um, more achievable. But what I'm also noticing is that it seems to be less houses in the market because um, I think people are slightly reluctant to sell. Perhaps they're waiting for the prices to bounce back up. Right. But from what I've seen, there are some potentially um, viable houses that I could invest in. Uh, but the problem is the bank at the moment is only really lending me enough money to perhaps buy a one-bedroom apartment or a bed seat. Ideally, I would... Um, like to be able to afford a two-bedroom because then I would have another flatmate that could potentially help me repay the mortgage. But according to the bank, that's not really counted towards Mm. um, how much I can borrow.
0: Right. What's your verdict on broker versus direct to bank? Do you find it better dealing directly with the bank or is it easier through a broker?
2: Um, So far, my experiences with brokers have been both very negative negative. Once I tried to make an offer on the house and the broker took months to even get back to me on how much I can borrow. And by that time, the house was gone. So I went to another broker who was offering me maybe 30% less than what the bank was quoting me. So in the end, I decided to just stick with my bank because they were offering me the best deal. And this is a bank that you you currently bank with, so they know you and... and... Yeah, I've been with that bank since 97. Right, okay.
0: Thinking back to the episode that you did with us a couple of years ago, you know, you really you really painted quite a stark picture of of what the situation was doing for you, including your mental state of being. Have things changed? Is the current situation any better
2: or worse? I think I've maybe gotten a little bit jaded, so it's not affecting me mentally quite so much. However, I think I mentioned last time I still had some problems with my teeth. That's still ongoing. I haven't been able to look into that, and that's kind of taken a seat back. um, Yeah, so I think you
0: mentioned last time that you Decided not to invest money in, in kind of getting your teeth fixed because you were saving for a mortgage. Is that
2: still the status quo?
0: Is it still ongoing? Yes. Yeah, and right. I've
2: even started doing intermittent fasting, so I figure I'm saving thirty percent on my food as well.
0: Okay. Well, food is a major.
2: Uh, I mean, that's probably one thing that really has changed
0: in the intervening two years, right? The price of food has gone. Um, it's more bananas than the um, than the housing market. So, with property prices suddenly falling but interest rates going up so quickly. Are you in some ways a little bit pleased that you didn't buy two years ago, kind of at the peak of the market, and you're now faced with still really being in the beginning stages of paying off your mortgage and
2: seeing interest rates rise so quickly? I do feel that like I may have got the bullet there because um, if I had purchased, I would have bought to the absolute maximum of my borrowing ability, which means that with the current interest rate, I'd probably be seriously struggling. Yeah. So in a way, I am a little bit fortunate. So silver linings.
0: So every cloud has a silver lining. Yes. Cool. Hey, Vlad, thank you so much for coming back in. It's been really, really cool to connect with you again. I think as we said last time, we wish you all, your best. all the best in your hunt for a house and hope that it comes together for you.
2: Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Hopefully I'll have a home soon.
0: Yeah, and hopefully we can check in with you in another couple of years and you're, you're in a home. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, lad. Oh Good. So what do you reckon, Soph? I did realise that outro sounded like hopefully we can check in with you in a couple of years and you're in a home. I know. As in like a um, – it.
1: <laughs> no, no i just i i heard that and i was like oh god i feel like we're going to check in, in a couple of years and vlad's still going to be looking for a house and his teeth still aren't going to be fixed and he's gone from like 30 percent less food to 60 percent less food this is uh, it sounded dire and then he sounded more upbeat about it but just because he's now like more cynical not because things have actually uh, improved
0: you know he's he's a he is actually a, a really positive forced to be around it's like quite a remarkable person actually i'm, mm. I'm really impressed with with Flair, but i do i have a real sympathy for his situation and he will be sucks. in the same boat as thousands and thousands of people in this country
1: yeah um, i think as he said so the only upside is that yeah he didn't happen to buy at the peak of the market and mm. now be like faced with potentially giving up that house because he couldn't afford the mortgage on it
0: but it just feels yeah. like such a cruel twist that you finally see prices dropping but interest rates get to a point where the bank's going to go well you can't service you can't service this even though the Mm. the asking price is lower Mm. um so we're not going to lend to you that's uh, it just seems cruel
1: speaking of buying at the peak of the market uh i'm actually going to talk to you a bit later about uh do you remember thomas swain
0: banker mama dan
1: thomas yeah that's the one um i'm going to chat to you about him later he did actually buy at the peak of the market so we'll catch up with him in a minute
0: yeah it'll be interesting to compare Tom, our producer, had me working bloody hard yesterday and I actually did two interviews. I also interviewed Toby, who we had a yarn to around his quest as a food manufacturer to find the most sustainable form of packaging for the Greek style dips that he makes. Yes. So, um, that olive
1: dip is still the best dip. Oh, it's
0: it is wicked. My son is a we're huge, we're not fan. paid
1: by the way. This that's yeah, just no, is just a personal endorsement, a genuine plug. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, he was, a, he was a star of Bamboozled Can We Kick the Plastic? One of our more memorable episodes in season two. Toby, welcome back to Consumer. It's really good to see you. How are you? <laughs> Great, thanks. Yeah. cool. Yeah. So, thanks for coming back in and kind of where we left the last episode you were on a journey and you're about to open your new factory
3: how's that going the new factory has been very successful uh, really enjoying have all that extra space and great location i was quite surprised and really factored in that moving from one part of the city to the other would be quite so positive such a positive
0: why is it why is it so positive
3: well i think all the tradies are in the hut and so when you're in Miramar, they're like, oh, God, you know, come out and fix your f- fridge uh, and right, yeah. Oh, yeah, get stuck in the traffic. Whereas literally sometimes they're in the same street. They walk down with their bag. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's so great. Cool. It's such a change. Uh, it's And it's really convenient to get everywhere.
0: Cool. So <laughs> so look, when we yarned last year, yes. you were in the process of, well, we followed you, going through the process of trying to find the most sustainable packaging you could for for your products. Yes and you were looking to make some changes how's that all gone well does that, a, that does, is a huge sign. That, I don't
3: I don't normally say I'm quite a positive person in general but that that sort of whole journey has left me sort of still spinning my wheels a little bit one right. of a, a few things that I learned subsequently to making or finishing talking to you guys last year was the scale of investment required to upgrade equipment in the food manufacturing industry is extraordinary and the analogy that I use with people is let's say that we're doing our deliveries in a small little van like a little Renault van or something and we want to upgrade to a Ford transit you know sort of logical next step and they're like you go to the shop and they're like oh no next step is a truck and trailer unit with 250 thousand dollars and you're like no 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 I just want the I just want a little van next size up and they're like uh oh, uh that's it right and it, it does feel like that And one of the first things I was really keen is to go out to the suppliers, the industry, the equipment suppliers, and say, look, we are quite a big industry in this region. Can you start to think of solutions for us? If we want a sustainable packaging, for example, go away and come back and come back
0: with some ideas that are affordable that we can actually implement. So one of the the things we did talk about in a bit of detail was this idea around vacuum sealing pots to... Solve the the problem that you had where you had to push the lids on, mm. and the lids not being recyclable. How have you gone with solving that problem, or is that part of what you've just been talking
3: about? That that is part of what I've been talking about. So the idea of do we have a sealing machine with different types of lids? that I'm still that's that hasn't
0: progressed. Right. Sorry to say. Well, you're busy running a business as well, you know. Yeah, there was that out.
3: as well. That that yeah. is you know th- th- it hasn't been an easy time but with that food inflation coming through in the last 12 months. It has been a bit of a rock and roll period for food manufacturing. Mm. As a smaller company, we're we're able to respond to it. But, you know, one of the bigger food manufacturing companies, Rosa Foods, has, you know, gone into liquidation a few months ago. You've got to watch out. Yeah. So we haven't made much progress in that respect. I can give you some positive feedback, though.
0: Well, I'll ask you one question before we do. Mm.
3: Is that disappointing for you? It is disappointing, yeah. I mean, I, I remember a few years ago throwing my toys out of the cot to my staff. I was renting, like, if we, I think this is in the original podcast, we sold a 100,000th pot in that particular year, which was a big thing for us at the time. And we were like, I was like, God, if we keep selling this much plastic pots, I'm going to shut the business down. Now I understand that plastic pots may be not such a bad solution for packaging food, for starters, but it's, it's still not something that sits that comfortably yeah, with sure. me. I'd rather not be – I'd
0: rather have some better solution that was well, certainly more environmentally friendly, and we haven't found that yet. Are, are you seeing any feedback from consumers or through the supermarkets, through their customers? Are you seeing any increased demand? Are you getting pushback on, on the packaging choices that you're making? Uh, not so much, no. No.
3: Um, and, but what's been interesting, there's been a lot of positive feedback. I'm, I'm going to give you a little plug for your podcast series because – I've had a lot of po- positive feedback from making the podcast. Right, really? okay. So, which has been really interesting, and and particularly from other food manufacturers who have said, look, that's fantastic, other food manufacturers, listen to the podcast, and then they could use that as a sort of thing to explain to their customers when they would get grief from other customers about mm-hmm. using a plastic pot, for example. They would say, well, look, listen to this podcast, because these guys have put a bit of time and effort into thinking about what are the alternatives and are they better and all these sorts of things? Well, we really really encouraging.
0: Yeah, we've had some interesting feedback as well, particularly from producers and manufacturers saying, you know, hey, thanks for taking a more business centric approach than you usually do, consumer. And we were kinda of like, Well, we we really did it to, you know, inform consumers, but we needed to tell a business's story to do that. Yeah. And it also doesn't let you off the hook for for to keep trying to find good solutions. That's it's, right. It's yeah. not it's not excusing anything. I've it's, got a free it, pass. Ah. Yeah, it's not. It's not like that. But I mean, what was great about the podcast is you approached it from that perspective right from the get go. You were, you really wanted to make positive change, but were frustrated basically at every turn. And it sounds, unfortunately, like that's still the case. That's still the case. Yeah. Which is a bit depressing. Yeah. But was that the only positive thing you had? Or was there another positive thing? Uh,
3: no, I think the <laughs> give me more positive. <laughs> more <laughs> positive, the, the positive. The positives are that almost every single manufacturer I've spoken to is really uh, in tune with this cool. need cool. to come up with better ways to package their products and get them to market. Me just working on my own, it will get nowhere, mm. which is why I'm working with you guys, a consumer, to try and understand that a little bit more. But you can see how that's been really positive because it's reached other food manufacturers mm. um, and obviously a lot of consumers as well, so...
0: Awesome. Hey, well, look, we really appreciate you coming back in. It's always good to see you. And yeah, hopefully um, we'll, we'll talk to you again in the future. Then will have more
3: positive news. Yeah.
0: Hopefully.
1: More positive news next time. Thanks. Yeah. What do you reckon, yeah. Soph? Oh, I feel a bit bummed for Toby, actually. But also I feel like there are some um, similarities between his experience and like general consumer experience around sort of going green, I guess, when you want to go green yourself it seems to cost you more Mm. and so he wants to go green but the cost is prohibitive for him in the sense that like that manufacturing equipment is obviously cost prohibitive at the moment for a small business so hopefully as you say more positive the next time but I think it is great that we were able to get that information out to consumers that like plastic wasn't the evil that we all thought it was or Not the evil in all circumstances.
0: Yeah, the least worst decision.
1: Yeah. Cool,
0: all right.
1: So someone I wanted to catch up with, John, was Rachel from the Scammed podcast where she lost $100,000 in a dating app. Um, That was early on in season one. And uh, when we left her, she'd been scammed out of $100,000, taken up scam baiting on behalf of other scam victims, And whilst doing that, also found a real person to date who she initially thought was actually a scammer, but actually he wasn't. Shall we give her a call? Let's give her a call. Hello. Hi, it's Sophie from Consume This. Oh, hi, Sophie.
0: And uh, it's John here as well. How's it going?
1: Oh, good. Thanks. Uh, so we just wanted to catch up and hear how you were getting on. The last time we left off, you'd taken up scam baiting and were trying to help out other people. How are you getting on with that?
4: Well, I still um, help um, people from global anti-scam organisation. If they give me any uh, volunteer job, I'm very happy to take them, but I don't actively scam bait anymore. I I guess I just used it as a coping mechan- mechanism at that time, and it worked, but I, I have moved on.
1: Fair enough. Yeah.
4: <laughs>
1: How are you feeling after your whole experience?
4: Um, well, I don't feel much now because uh, it's been quite a few, like probably a couple of years by now. Yeah, I definitely have moved on with my life, and it's just um, a mistake I made in life, right? That happens to everyone, I guess.
1: Yeah. Did you say you'd started um, volunteering?
4: Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I've been volunteering for quite a few time for anti-scam organisation. It was a organisation in Singapore. Uh, the owner of the, of the organisation is also a victim of the pig butchering scam. Mm. So, but she got scammed a lot of money. So that's why she devoted all her life into this
1: wow so right. so what does the organization do exactly like how do they help people
4: they publish stories of victims and they uh, publish all the new tricks and they publish the uh, inside stories from the scam organizations
0: and do they operate all over the world
4: I think it's a definitely a global because uh, pers- anyone can seek help from them. Probably last year when I. Uh, just put up my uh, scam post on Reddit. I still got lots of emails or questions from other people. They were just asking me, hey, I got scammed the same way. Could you help me out? You know, what should I do? Because it's kind of like shocking when you first realize it was a scam. Mm. And I just direct them all to um, global anti-scam organization. And they have a a group of people devoting, uh, helping people who got scammed the same way. So if sometimes they gave me a few people to talk with, just to guide them through emotionally and give them information, you know, what sort of organisation they could contact.
0: Were you seeing many people from New Zealand coming through that or was it mainly from overseas?
4: Well, as, as far as I know, uh, there were probably over 40 people in New Zealand, all across New Zealand, who got scammed the same way. I would say a majority of them are Asian, like Chinese. But uh, in the U.S., it's a bigger country. And, of course, the, there are so many scam organizations, you know, hiding in Thailand, you know, in uh, laws. You just have no idea how, you know, how they develop the scam techniques. So, so I know quite a few Westerners got scammed the same way in the U.S.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah. you sort of like victim support sort of for these people
4: yeah if any if if ever people uh google search the scam some of the reddit posts come is going to jump out for them and they're going to like message me on reddit and then i will be able to help them somehow it's just a bit hard to find them like actively find them out right because you have to be happy to be discovered first. Many uh, victims, they don't like to be known, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah.
1: Well, it sounds like you've done something really positive with your experience in trying to help other scam victims um, deal with their their loss and um, process what they need to do afterwards.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, I always think that uh, accepting a negative experience is a positive one, right? Yeah, Yeah. So, yeah it, it, everything I do is, um, it's a women's situation. I help myself and I help others. That's It's a awesome. coping mechanism, as yeah. I said.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, we also have a bit of a personal question for you as well. Uh-huh. At the end of your episode, you ended up meeting an actual genuine guy who was looking yeah. for romance. Are you two still together?
4: We dated for a few months, but um, we just found out we were a bit too different, so we decide to be friends in the end but we're good friends. Nice. Um, oh, but, fantastic. But the good news is that I am actually in a committed love relationship at the moment.
1: Great. And we've met so, him in real life and he's definitely not into cryptocurrency?
4: Oh, I also met him on Bumble. Oh. <laughs> we we've now subsequently
1: so, met in person though, right?
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we been toge- we get on really well, been together for um, for quite a long time now. Great. Cool. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's awesome. We're just gonna say, look, thank you very much for chatting to us and it's really good to talk to you again and find out that things are going well for you.
4: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I try my best. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone else, right? Just life. So.
0: All right. Well that was super interesting.
4: Yeah.
1: So she dumped the the other guy. No, they're well, still I don't friends, but
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. we we'll draw conclusions there. <laughs> Um, but it sounds like uh, she's in a really good place that she's moved on. Hopefully us calling her hasn't re-traumatised her in any way because, uh, yeah, it sounds like she's she's kind of moved on with her life and um, has accepted what's happened and, and is in a better place for it.
1: Yeah, I think so. And it's obviously taken a positive spin on her experience that she can help other people in the same sort of situation. Yeah, is I,
0: nice. and, and that's really cool to hear because I don't think everyone's as lucky as that. And, and this this kind of thing... Uh, can really impact people for a long period of time. So, um, mm. yeah, she's lucky to find herself um, able to move on in that way, I think.
1: Yeah. The next person that we wanted to catch up with that I teased earlier was Thomas Swain. You'll remember Thomas uh, from the Bank of Mum and Dad episode, where he bought his house in July 2021 for a cool $1 million. And since then, we've heard from Vlad that the price of buying a home has dropped and that's probably not such a good thing for Thomas. And yeah, I thought we should probably give him a call and check on how he's doing. Yeah.
5: So I'm actually now sitting probably,
1: probably
5: just on the border of negative equity, despite the amount of money I've put in and the amount of work I've done, <laughs> which has been reasonably extensive
1: and by reasonably extensive he estimates that he's spent another 60 grand or so
5: oh gosh and that's with me doing most most of the work myself yeah so it's yeah it's a money pit <laughs> and and of course then my mortgage comes up in october for a very different interest rate very very remarkably different interest rate
1: yep It's a very different situation now than it was in the middle of 2021. The rise in interest rates leaves him in the interesting position that despite his house being worth less, he's going to end up paying more for it. Not exactly an ideal situation. So I asked him straight up, when your interest rate goes up, how are you going to find the extra cash? So... There's, yeah, it's a really
5: good question. Um, Working out numbers and sums. I've been able to um, renovate a small part of the house that I can rent out. And I'm absolutely going to have to rent out two of the bedrooms. So (laughs) when it comes down to it, I'm (laughs) potentially looking at still paying about $800 a week for a room in a house I own, but having to share it just like I did (laughs) flatting.
1: So John, given all of that absolute ridiculousness, how do you think he's feeling about his decision to buy now?
0: Oh, it's a difficult situation. He finds himself in, I hope he can just keep his eye on the prize and that it's a long term game like any investment, right? Mm. Um, And Look, even though it's a struggle, at least he's got a roof over his head.
5: Yeah. Now I look back and think, massive, massive amounts of work and money to probably still scrape just below the value of what I paid for it. (laughs) Some days I'm like, what the hell did I do? And other days I go, no, come on, think long term, think long term, think long term. But but we don't know if in 10 years' time, uh, you know, house prices are 40% more. Or if in 10 years' time, house prices are just sitting about the same. It's hard slog to think that you're just trying to scrape back to what you paid. You know, you sit there and you think, gosh, that's a gamble, isn't it? Like, I could actually sell it and owe the bank money.
1: (laughs) Despite that uh, not being great for him, uh, Thomas is ploughing ahead with his renovations and it took him over 10 years of saving going to open homes and auctions to finally buy the house that he's in now. And that experience has convinced him that it's just best to cling on to his home as hard and as long as possible, given that it's the only one he's got.
5: Because because you have to, don't you? Because you just go, well,
1: the opportunity may never come around again. Now, this is where things get really interesting. I thought our call was winding up and, you know, we'd wrapped up the house conversation. But I had one final question, which was, you know, you've painted a bit of a bleak picture, but you're quite upbeat about everything. And I wanted to know why he sounded upbeat. But rather than putting a nice little bow in everything, uh, John, he dropped this rather large bombshell.
5: There's plenty of other things that have happened to me where I've
1: thought, I'm going to die. So, yeah, this will be fine. It, It will work out. So, of course, interest peaked. I had to find out more. Weirdly, Thomas seemed quite surprised that we would be interested in his near-death <laughs> experience. Oh. <laughs> well. <laughs> but he was happy to share it. 2007,
5: I was in Martinique in the Caribbean on an island and I was hiking with a friend. There'd been a 7.2 earthquake, 10km off the coast a week before and part of the mountain had subsided in an area where people hadn't trekked. We ended up getting there, and there was a whole cliff face that had subsided about 100 foot. And we couldn't climb up the sides, and we knew that by the time we got back to the top of the mountain, it would be absolutely pitch black, and it was so dangerous up there that we could have just fallen and died. So we were really, really close to this town, and we were like, hmm, let's see if we can navigate our way around this subsidence of cliff face. Uh, and then ended up getting completely lost in uh, the rainforest, and it was bone dry. Uh, we weren't prepared, didn't have what we needed. Uh, it was, it was, it was literally like one of those drive up to the top, halfway up, and then you just, you know, you take two hours and go see the top and back again. But we took another path back to the car park. We're like, oh, we'll take this little path back, <laughs> and uh, five days later, we found. Um, there was two mountain rescue teams and 300 gendarmes, and my parents were on the way to Los Angeles to pick up my body. Um, so it was it was crazy, yeah.
1: And relative to that, honestly, insane experience. The value of his house falling and his mortgage repayments rising doesn't seem such an insurmountable problem compared to... You know, losing twenty kilos in five days because you were stuck out in the jungle and your parents thought you were dead, so yeah, like you tend to
5: find that you know things work out because you know when I'm there, and it's day five, and you know I, I I lost about twenty kilos in five days it was it was it was insane, never felt more thirsty, never felt more hungry in my entire life at the point where I was like i I think I'm dying now. <laughs> and And you do you you kind of put things into perspective and go, well, if I was able to get out of that, I'm sure we'll figure this out. Anyway, that's my update.
4: Cool.
0: Wow, what an interesting conclusion to that story that's that's huge. <laughs> and that also is the conclusion of this podcast. So thank you so much uh, for listening. Season four is coming up, so listen out for it. And in the meantime, if you missed any of the episodes that we recapped today, feel free to get into our back catalogue and have a look. They're all there waiting for you.
1: Consume This is brought to you by Consumer NZ, hosted by us, John and Sophie, and produced by Tom Reesmith. Consumer NZ is a small but amazing not-for-profit looking out for your rights. We're primarily supported by our members, which we'd love for you to become. Membership comes with a whole stack of benefits, including getting your money back from your New Zealand. Boom. Access to unbiased, lab-tested product reviews and our consumer rights advice line. Thanks, Annalise.
0: So. For for...
1: Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> you go. For more info on becoming a member, check out the Consumer NZ website or follow the link in the show notes. Matua. Kakeete. I am Abby Darman and I work in the campaigns team at Consumer New Zealand. I want to tell you about some of the exciting work we're doing here at Consumer New Zealand. Right now, literally, as we speak, we are working really hard to keep big businesses and our lawmakers in check. So we're currently engaged in taking on unfair retirement village contracts, misleading supermarket pricing, and dodgy green claims. To keep up this good work, we need to raise $50,000 before the 24th of September. So please, if you can, help us to help others by heading to consumer.org.nz forward slash donate. Thanks so much.